0: I'm walking through an airport for the first time in my life. Hey Yaz!
1: I'm just gonna film this because I've never been on a plane before and I'm well like, peeing myself.
0: From the Third Coast International Audio Festival in Chicago, I'm Gwen Maxey, and this is ReSound. It's like all the times I watch those airline programs on TV. ReSound is a remix. Music, documentaries, found sound, sound bites, and things we love the first time we hear them. We listen to everything we can get our ears on, then bring you the best of what we hear each week on ReSound.
2: We're about to take off.
0: By its very definition, you never know how something will turn out the first time you do it. Whether it's a kiss, a recipe, a job, a drink, a drive in the car, or a trip to the moon. We're moving. Jazz, yes, we're moving. We're in, the we're in the air. This is so cool. Firsts are filled with potential. Potential joy. Potential mortification. People may be watching. You might bomb. I remember vividly the first time I did stand-up in front of an audience instead of the mirror, or the first time I sang the national anthem to a minor league ballpark instead of my dog.
2: Next oh, say Let's
0: just say they were the first and the last time I did either. Today on ReSound, first sentences, the first day back, and every last first you can imagine. Stay with us. Having your first baby changes more than just your waistline. It can redefine who you think you are, who you want to be, and what you want for the rest of your life. And besides all of these heady, philosophical things that becoming a mother for the first time invites, there are all the practical considerations like getting some sleep, staying sane, and trying to balance work with childcare, a puzzle many parents struggle with and agonize over. Filmmaker Tally Abacassis is going back to work after two children and a long hiatus. She's documenting this return in her podcast, First Day Back. Here is the first episode
1: Hi, I'm Tally. I'm a documentary filmmaker in Montreal and the mom of two boys Jack.
2: I am a robot. And Adam. I'm a robot too.
1: After Jack was born, I went on maternity leave and I just didn't go back to work. Then, I had Adam, and I still didn't go back. I couldn't figure out how to balance being a new mom and leaving the kids all day to get back into my career. My head was not there. Making my kids food, and reading them books, and schlepping them to the park just felt like what I was supposed to be doing. And so, without any real plan, I put my career to the side. Adam has been home with me until recently, so I spend a lot of time with my kids. I do crafts with them, we make cookies, I make supper every night, and I volunteer at school. All that stuff I feel like they need. I've done a few small work contracts, but I haven't really been committed to getting back in. Mostly, I haven't wanted to do anything that would impact my kids' lives. One thing that I should mention right off the bat is that my husband has a solid job. We're not rich, and we've made sacrifices to our lifestyle to make this work, but we're not struggling. But now it's been six years, and I've started to feel like I need to get back in there, like my career is feeling too far away, and I'm losing track of that other part of myself. Making ninjas out of pipe cleaners off a Pinterest page has certain rewards, but I am feeling like I need a little more. It feels like a lifetime ago that I was doing paid work or having any adult conversation that didn't revolve around my kids. I am so stuck in kidland right now that the other day I received an email with a heading about longer legs and I thought it said Lego. And I was excited. I know I'm not the only one dealing with this. I've read all the mom blogs and the mom books, and they make me feel less alone, but they don't make it easier for me to know what to do and how to do it. Plus being an arts-based freelancer makes returning to work seem like a huge puzzle. For people like me, there is no established structure for us to jump back into the workforce. We're like entrepreneurs in that way. I really didn't see that problem coming, and if you had asked me before having kids where I thought I would be at this point, I definitely wouldn't have seen myself here. Here's my husband David, who knows a trap when he hears one. So, do you ever describe me to people as a stay-at-home mom? <laughs>
3: <laughs> have I ever done that? N- no. No. No, 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 actually, I haven't. No.
1: So what do you tell people?
3: I usually say that, like, right now you're taking care of the kids and at some point in time you're going to get back into work. But I wouldn't call that a stay-at-home one.
1: Would you like me to be working?
3: Like what kind of working?
1: Would you like me to be bringing in money?
3: Uh, Sure. Yeah, I mean, that would always be be always be good to have more money, but I don't think... Uh, if it was like, would you like more money? Yes or no? It's like, yes. But then it's like, okay, well, at what cost besides the, you know, in terms of the hours or complication to, you know, logistics of life and getting kids to school and paying for... Mm, babysitters or whatever to fill in the gaps and all that kind of stuff
1: right who will do all the things that I'm doing now how do people have successful careers and be super available parents what would that even look like I remember that Anne-Marie Slaughter article in the Atlantic last year that basically said women can't have it all and she had a way bigger job than me I don't know anyone who has it all together, so it feels like there are a few real models. Possibly I should set the bar lower. But right now, my career expectations are about stalled. I ran into my old producer the other day, and she said, Oh, but we wrote you off a long time ago. I don't think she was trying to crush my spirit. I actually think she was trying to let me off the hook. That's just what people think when they see a woman take time to be with her kids. Granted, I took a lot of time. But clearly, if I don't do this now, everyone will have written me off. I just have to figure out how exactly to do it. My kids are now in school and daycare, which is a new thing. Jack just went into grade one, and Adam has started daycare part-time. So there's nothing holding me back, really. That's what this podcast is going to be about. I'm gonna go from accidental stay-at-home mom back to working mom and try to figure out how to make it work for my family. I wrote a documentary proposal for an idea I had and I've submitted it to a granting agency here in Montreal. There are a lot of in-between steps but my goal is to be filming by next summer. I'll try to document the process and talk to other people about how they make it work. I want to see if I can take on this project while being fair to my kids, trying to feel less guilty, and being true to myself. You can join me for the ride. I'll try to be as open and honest as I can be. And possibly, I won't figure it out at all. It's been a few weeks of Adam going to daycare, and it's a bit depressing. I'm sure when he's there, he has a good time, but the drop-offs are just brutal. He screams and cries and says things like, Mommy, don't leave me, and uh, And every day I think it's going to get better, and it seems like it's taking a really long time. It's pretty hard to do. Um... It's been a few mornings that I thought I would record it just for the podcast, but it seemed so heartless to record him crying. And then this morning I was holding him and he was screaming and I had to hand him over to his teacher, Joanna. And I mean, it was like he was like made of Velcro. He was just holding on to me and I had to rip him off me to hand him to her. And you have to be super stoic, they tell you you know smile and wave and so i'm like bye as this child is screaming his head off and crying for me ugh it really makes you wonder like why am i doing this so yeah his teacher texts me after I leave to say when he stopped crying and you know sometimes it's pretty fast but sometimes it takes a while and I sit there with my phone and I think has she just forgotten to send the text Yeah, maybe he's stopped crying <laughs> and, and then she'll send the text a few minutes later you know no crying and I'm like oh my god that took a long time. Ugh. There was an article in the Sunday New York Times this weekend by Heather Haverleski that struck a chord with me. She said that motherhood has been elevated to this all-encompassing identity, with demands and expectations that eclipse everything else in a woman's life, and that the current culture demands that every mother be all-in all the time. And so bravo, I have been keeping up with that. But then as much as you hear you should be this all-in mother, I still hear this chorus in every other aspect of society calling. When are you getting back to real work? In the Times article, the author says that even in this supposedly enlightened day and age, a woman may feel like the same person inside after having kids. But what the world sees is a woman lugging around a giant umbilical cord. And I thought, sometimes I see myself that way. You know, my mom was a stay-at-home mom, and I know it's tied up in that. My mom was one of the most important people in my life, and she died of cancer seven years ago. She never got to see me as a mother. She never got to meet my kids, and I think about that all the time. She was incredibly dedicated to my brother and I. I think my childhood was pretty great, which is probably why I'm trying to replicate it for my kids. Most of my friends say that my mom was a mom to them too, she was always home. She made all kinds of things from scratch, and in my mind, at least, she was very fulfilled by her role. Here's a conversation with Ben, my brother, and I'll try not to cringe as I hear my brother and I call my parents "mummy" and "daddy." I guess what I'm what I'm trying to figure out is um, why I took this really long mat leave and why I, in my head, I'm having a hard time getting back to work and. I guess I'm wondering if it all comes down to Mummy, and kind of modeling the behavior who I saw her be. Well, like, how do do you think she ever wanted to work?
2: Yeah, I think so. I mean, she remember she did those eBay stores. She did remember the uh, the Nintendo cartridges that she used to sell the 101 games, and she did a couple other things. And she did. One past she was oh she yeah, selling the she sold regal cat. yeah regal Avon uh daddy always said that she wanted to like maybe not work so much in a full time capacity, but she wanted to be able to say she was making her own money oh. um, and I so forgot about that. there was she also tried to start a daycare at one point, although I think that was very short lived oh
1: yeah,
2: um and then there was there was something oh there was the pampered chef spoon holders, oh yeah, <laughs> that she'd buy at the dollar store. And then sell on eBay for, you know, $10, $20 or something like that. And then they shut her down because they said they're counterfeit.
1: So I have to interrupt here. It's not that I forgot about these things. It's that I never really properly considered what they must have meant to her. That they might mean that she was looking for something. I feel like a total jerk because her businesses have always been funny dinner party material to me. She had all these sales gigs that she came up with. Besides selling from catalogs, she sold cookies on eBay. I mean, she sold food that she baked in our oven on the internet. She sold Nintendo cartridges that held a 100 games in one. She got those from a guy who called himself Cobra in a non-ironic way. He would leave messages at my house saying it's Cobra calling, and he'd pull up to our house in his Trans Am with a Cobra airbrushed on his hood. My mom was definitely the only woman in our little Jewish suburban neighborhood having tea with a dude called Cobra.
2: Um, oh,
1: yeah. But I guess yeah. I wasn't, I didn't think of those things as being, Were I guess I
2: just. I, I don't know if there were, I mean, I don't think it's the same thing as, you know, a full-time job. But I think, like I said, she wanted to have that concept of making her own money. And I also think there was the idea of, having something else to do outside of us i guess you know what i mean
1: well that's what i wonder did she because i'm questioning also well why do i need to go back to work and then i'm wondering like it was enough for my mom to be the Mm -hmm. super mom
2: she wasn't in any career path i mean you know she I mean, like she wasn't like you know making a name for herself or you know trying to be in a niche environment or like you know you know what i mean like I, I don't know if she necessarily felt she had something to go back to. I don't know. I mean, right. I don't. You know, I think maybe the situations are a little different, where you know you have this career you've already started to build up for yourself, and she. I don't know. Maybe Daddy would know better, but I don't feel like she really did. She became mummy. She beca- She was mummy. That was it.
1: And because in my mind, I mean, I don't know if it's because she's not here, but I wonder if she's become this larger than life. Figure, figure like this mother, and her, we were so.
2: The we woman who wife. made homemade fruit roll ups and <laughs> homemade everything, <laughs> exactly. Tried her hand at homemade pasta, homemade. Yeah, had, yeah.
1: She made <laughs> she made everything. I mean, it's a miracle that we were wearing store bought clothing <laughs> because she. <laughs> I see her as somebody who found fulfillment being a mother, and it was totally enough for her, and. Um, She was just like Uber mother. And I wonder if I am trying to replicate that somehow, just trying so hard to be this super, super present mother. It was almost a relief to hear that my mom also sought validation outside of her children. It made me feel like she wouldn't be disappointed in me if she heard that I needed to go back to work. So, about this project that I'm applying for to get funded shooting a documentary for those of you who don't know requires long, long hours. When filming, by definition, I won't be around my home much, and that idea stresses the crap out of me. My kids have never even been to summer camp. I stayed with them all summer this year. Those of you with kids know how crazy that is. But so now, if this project works, I will have to face some serious fears. Fear that my brain has atrophied and I won't be able to keep up in a work environment... Fear that becoming a mom has shifted my focus so much and I've missed my best career years. I keep second-guessing this feeling that I want to get back out there because of the guilt. And my one biggest fear, that my kids will suffer with less of me. I decided to ask an expert what he thought about it. My question to you, I'm doing an interview with you. So, do you think that I work...
2: Yes, I think you work.
1: What do you think I do?
2: I think you make movies for adults. That's true.
1: Do you, like, Do I when I work at home, is that work? When I'm, like, cleaning and cooking and stuff like that?
2: Yeah, that's work. But it's not your job's
1: work. Well, the big theme of the thing that I'm doing right now is mummies and work. And should mummies spend more time with their kids or should they spend more time at work? Mummies should work for getting money to live. I'm kind of surprised because I thought that, I thought your answer was going to be that mummies should stay with their kids all the time. Why? Well, just because I thought that's what you would prefer, to stay with me all the time.
2: Well, I'm okay without you.
1: Ouch. I can't say that didn't hurt to hear and make things feel more complicated. But that's what I should want him to say, right? That whatever I do, he'll be okay? Even without me, he'll be okay? Plus, let's be real here, he's only six. He doesn't know what's best for him. So I just came out of a meeting with a production company with this guy, Philippe, who's a producer who I used to work with, and Miriam, who's the new producer at their company. She's heavily pregnant. And um, it was very encouraging. They want to know more. They're interested in the project. They'll be much more interested if if I get the production funding that I applied for. But um, if they come on board, then they will help me find a broadcaster and they'll help me finance like get the sort of bulk of the funding. So um, it was a real step in the right direction. Um, it reminded me of the sort of hustle of freelancing and how, you know, in the first question out of their mouths when we come to the meeting is, so what are you working on now? And of course, you know, nobody wants to hear you're working on nothing. So I kind of threw it back at them like, oh, tons of stuff, I have a lot of balls in the air, but what are you guys working on? Um, And it also reminded me of this other advice that a producer gave me early in my career, which is basically when somebody wants to take a meeting with you, even if you are looking at a blank calendar, uh, always refuse the first meeting time. And sort of say, well, I can't do that day. And then the second meeting time proposed, move it by half an hour. So say, you know, well, I I can't really do one, but I could do 1.30 because nobody wants to work with somebody who's not busy everybody wants to work with the busiest people so if you look busy it looks good for you it's like some kind of freelancer math like first meeting x and then second meeting plus or minus 30 minutes ah anyway i hope they don't listen to this podcast all right so moving forward it's cold out and uh moving like a shark
0: Getting Back Out There was produced by Tally Abacassis for her podcast, First Day Back. We were struck by the intimate moments Tally caught on tape. For instance, her son telling her that he didn't need her the way she thought he would. This one story covers familiar territory in a relatable way, and thanks to podcasting, Tally will be able to continue to document her experience as it unfolds. To hear the next chapter of Tally's story, you can subscribe to her podcast called First Day Back in iTunes or your app of choice.
3: The first time I hurt somebody on purpose. Oh, my first time being second, my first time being second. My first betrayal, my first my lie. First, lie. first time and my and first not betrayal. the last
0: time that I hit my sister
3: first time I cried in secret.
0: Artists Steve Heather and Sigmar Zacharias were also interested in the idea of firsts. But their approach is decidedly less straightforward. Through memory, sound, and music, they've constructed a collective biography of a life from zero to 100. Here's a short excerpt of their sound art piece My First. The first time I kicked in my mother's belly. A man stepped on the moon.
2: My first my breath. My first breath. My
0: first tooth.
2: My first word. My first step. My first scar. My first
1: tooth.
3: My first I contagious found disease. Found my first investigation into my own uh, shot. First time shit. I saw a tree, I was about three
2: years old because I spent most of my life inside or in hospital due to asthma. And when I came out, I just didn't know what these things were like moving back and forth. My mum had to explain what the tree was. The first
1: time I climbed a tree, being a girl, I thought
0: I was very clever. But my mum wasn't very impressed. The first time somebody said, ah, this is your first The first time having my hair curled in rollers and then pulling them out.
2: The first time I dressed up as Snow white, I was full. My first...
3: My
1: first mm. dolly, who was named Pamela. The first time... The first time I didn't want anybody
0: to know.
3: The
2: first time... I, the first time I was in the witch's forest, I saw fairies. I was swimming well, in the ocean. The first time I had chewing gum was probably the about four. The first was four
1: The first time I tasted Coca-Cola was in a milk bar in Bell Street Covers in the late 1940s. Ice cream
0: in a pool, and it was on Black Friday and we'd taken refuge at a friend's house. My first food was probably banana,
2: other oh, than breast milk. The yeah. first time I decided not to eat meat, I was three.
1: First time I met my father was at Spencer Street Station in 1946 when he was demobilised
3: after the war. This time I my was two years old. duty during
1: the war, and his return, time we went into an air raid shelter during the war.
2: was when we used to visit my grandmother every week, and she had an air raid shelter down the Going in there and there was a horse in there as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, i had a dog all My first pet was a budgie that didn't move. My
1: first well. pet was an egg that I thought would hatch. My
3: first pet was a budgie bike called Phil.
2: My first bike. First time I stacked my BMX and said, it wasn't me. Not my first bike. My first push bike
3: was made from nuts from the tip. First the first time I fell, I fell off my bike... bike.
1: I was learning oh, to ride. Bike. I thought my brother was holding the seat. I wanted to stop, but he wasn't there, so I rode into a lamppost.
2: First time riding the bike.
0: The first time I rode a bike, I fell
1: off.
0: That's it.
3: I really cried. I can remember just crying, crying, crying. But anyway, I got back up. I tried to drive. My first push bike was used to start my. My first day walking off to school. First day going to school. First day of school.
1: I think I just went with the neighbours next door. I don't think my mother took
2: me. The first time I I went to school, I was scared. Um, and I was really frightened at that. My
0: first school it was a hellhole. There were snotty bullying kids and that was screaming bite. bad tempered
3: teachers. He agreed to meet a place. I talk. remember
0: sitting on he cold, me in the cold green
3: linoleum well, was waiting shot. outside the headmistress. After how much effort waiting to get
1: to the strap. The first time my son went to school, I was very anxious about placing him in a situation where external agents of socialization would take over and he would be subjected to forces beyond my control. The
2: first book I read was something by C.S. Lewis. Prince Caspian? Yeah, my first book I really liked
3: was The Hunger Games. It was really good. My first book, probably, well, first book I liked, probably, the Twi- The first book that I read was called
2: Luffy.
0: The first book I read was
3: Lassie, and I cried about the story. My f- first secret I told. Oh. The first time That's I experienced. The first people. time my pressure. I f- mm. kind of experienced this
2: yeah. pressure. The first time it wasn't all about me. Peer group pressure. That was the first time I felt left out. Oh, the first time I got naked with friends. We were playing cowboys and Indians in the garden.
3: And it was like tickles, smiles, felt- burps, giggles. Really. Left right. out. I, just, yeah, yeah, I yeah, realized yeah, yeah, yeah. I was the only one with freckles.
1: My first time I heard somebody on purpose,
3: I pushed a boy I didn't know off the playground. The first and not the last time.
0: That was an excerpt of My First produced by Steve Heather and Sigmar Zacharias for Soundproof, from RN's Creative Audio Unit at the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. To hear the entire piece, visit our website, thirdcoastfestival.org. So, first off, I just want to say that there are a lot of you out there who've never contacted us. Well, today can be the first time you do. Tweet or Facebook us, or even write us an email For the first time, we're at ReSound at ThirdCoastFestival.org. You've been listening to ReSound from the Third Coast International Audio Festival in Chicago. I'm Gwen Maxai. The program is produced by Dennis Funk and curated by Johanna Zorn and Sarah Geis of the Third Coast Festival. You can hear today's program at thirdcoastfestival.org, where you can also hear more than 1,500 outstanding documentaries from around the world. And subscribe to our podcast. Support for ReSound comes from Emma, a web-based email marketing and communication service helping businesses and nonprofits manage their email campaigns and online surveys in style. More at myemma.com. The Third Coast International Audio Festival is a nonprofit arts organization made possible with lead funding from the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation and the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation. Additional support is provided by the Riva and David Logan Foundation and the National Endowment for the Arts. The Third Coast Festival is supported in part by a grant from the Illinois Arts Council Agency. Special thanks to our many individual contributors from Chicago and around the world. The Third Coast Festival, now an independent arts organization was originally founded at WBEZ Chicago. Resound returns next week with more radio that you can't hear anywhere else unless you live everywhere else
1: <laughs>
3: Et la lampe qui s'éteint